I'm Dan Kendall, and you're listening to Digital Health Today, Asia Pacific Edition. Did you know that this is just one of the many shows that we create? In fact, from original podcasts like this one, to patient and professional educational content, to digital marketing, and even podcast advertising, we do a lot more than simply host conversations. We're mission-based media. Visit our website to learn more at missionbasedmedia.com. Welcome to Digital Health Today, Asia Pacific Edition, your go-to podcast to learn about the transformation of healthcare in a region with over 4.5 billion people across more than 40 countries. I'm your host, Tony Estrella. Today, I'd like to introduce Shuchin Bajaj. Shuchin is an entrepreneur doctor, which means he is passionate about staying close to the needs of individuals, always. As we'll hear, he's a difference maker in bringing better health to the rural population of India. It's because of people like Shuchin that we know people's lives can improve. Shuchin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Tony, for having me here. It's good to see you. Good to see you too. So let's start first with a background of India. It's an enormous region, 1.2 billion people plus. It's got a range of landscapes and geographies from deserts to mountains, to farms, to large urban centers, two of the largest cities in the world. Give us a, a background as to how do you, from a healthcare perspective, look at India and segment the population into groups that you can provide care for? Yeah, so India, I think, is a continent in itself and not just one country. So looking at India as one is, I think, exactly looking like Europe as one, you know, or the whole of Americas as one unit. So there are many different areas of India that have different needs. There are different population segments of India that have different needs. So you can have the richest of people coming from India, living in gated communities with all the possible amenities at their doorsteps and at the flick of a phone pad. But on the other hand, you may have a lot of communities that live in very financially challenging conditions, do not have access to even the basic of healthcare and education. So what we at Ujala Signals wish to do is to give access to all these communities and actually make financial status completely criteria that should not be there for accessing high quality healthcare. So we want to remove financial ability completely as a criteria for accessing healthcare. And I think for that technology is going to be a great leveler. See, India is a land of vast inequalities. On the one hand, we are sending probes to Mars. And on the other hand, we are struggling to provide even the basic public transport to our population. As I said, five-star hospitals on one side, and then very struggling and poorly maintained, poorly staffed government hospitals on the other. So I think the thing is that India is too big to ignore. So if the UN has to achieve its SDG goals in any way, India has to be a very active part of that. And we as an organization are trying to achieve the healthcare part of it in as many communities as we can. So we look at some of the broad challenges and you mentioned a couple. So roughly 72% of the population lives in rural environments. And so access, affordability, education, Tell us a little bit more about those challenges, because that's where your group focuses most, right, is in the rural population? 
Yeah, so we work in very small towns and with the rural populations a lot and the accessibility, affordability and the availability of healthcare is very, very challenging. Uh, it's also challenging to convince very high quality doctors and nurses and other paramedics to go and work with these communities because, you know, it's aspirational for doctors and nurses to come to the big cities rather than go back to those small towns. So when I started off, it was quite a challenge for me to even convince my own family members. They were aghast that I was leaving this wonderful, secure job at the biggest hospital in India and trying to move out back to the small towns where my father was like, we struggled to come here, you know, to the big city from those small towns and now you're trying to go back. So the communities there, it's not just, Tony, the fact that the communities have lack of access they are also afraid of going to these big hospitals and, you know, afraid of accessing these hospitals themselves because of the fact that they feel they may be too expensive or, you know, they are not very confident about entering these hospitals and they try to get themselves treated with local quacks and local practitioners till the time they get really deteriorated and complicated. And that is the time when they come in. So the cost of the disease automatically balloons up, right? So we all realize that preventive healthcare is much better than curative sick care that we all are doing currently. And we don't really understand the cost of the disease in its entirety. So if you see the cost of the disease for a simple diabetic patient who has everything under control, maybe less than 500 rupees a month for his medicines, right? But if he does not take care of that 500 rupees, if he's too afraid to go to a doctor to control his disease, and unfortunately, he, for example, develops a diabetic foot. So we amputate almost one foot every minute due to diabetes across the world, one of the most common complications. So if he comes to our hospital with that diabetic foot because his local quack can no longer manage it, we'll have to amputate that foot, right? So we may consider that the cost of the disease is now instead of 500, about 20,000 rupees, which he spent for his amputation, but we'll forget that there is a big indirect cost of the disease because when he goes back home now, he's out of a job because he has no legs, so he can't go to work really. And he has lost earnings worth, lakhs of rupees over his future. But also the intangible cost of the disease, which is the tertiary level, which is the scariest, is that now since he's lost his job, he will pull his children out of school and then send them to work. So many future generations will be destroyed because this person did not have the wherewithals or the access to get his blood sugar under control. He could not meet a doctor regularly to do that. So this is where we work with these small towns, with these rural populations, do a lot of outreach healthcare camps, go and talk to them, ask them to manage their blood sugars, do a lot of free treatments, free medicines. So in our own small way, we are trying to make sure that the costs of these chronic diseases should come down. And this is also where as I keep telling, technology can be a big leveler and enabler because I personally feel that more than 90% of these chronic diseases can be managed through technology itself. Great. And uh, it's inspiring in terms of the difference that you can make. For our audience, just for relative sense, 500 rupees is about seven US dollars in terms of the cost that we were describing earlier. And the name of your group that you're the founder and director of is Ujala Cygnus Healthcare Service. You've told us a little bit about the mission, but tell us more about what is the organization that you've built so far? How big is it? How many people? How many people do you support or individuals do you support? 
Yeah, so we consciously renamed the group as Healthcare Services. We were earlier called Cygnus Hospitals, but we thought that hospitals is just a very small part of what healthcare should be about. So as I said, hospitals are mostly sick care. So now we are branching out into a lot of things. So currently we have 13 hospitals across four states of North India. Our hospitals are mostly located in very small towns, in which you do not have access to high quality services. And our hospitals mostly look at addressing diseases in which the golden hour is of great importance. Like if you are unfortunate enough to have a heart attack, say 300 kilometers from a big city like Delhi, you have no choice but to hire a jeep and put the patient in the jeep because ambulances are not very readily available and try and get the patient to Delhi. And that those 200, 300 kilometers can cost you in terms of time anywhere between two hours to five hours, depending on traffic and road conditions, sometimes even six hours. And it's not very pleasant to have a critical patient in your car while trying to weave through that traffic. And so this whole group was formed due to some personal stories in which I lost some of my relatives who were trying to come to Delhi to access healthcare and they had called me in advance, and but they couldn't make it. So the 13 hospitals are now supported by a large network of outreach clinics in which we actually go to the village and set up a clinic there because, as I said, the hospitals mostly focus on sick care like neurosurgeries, cardiology, intensive care, blood banks, dialysis services in which you've already gotten complicated and now you're you know trying to access this very expensive sick care, which we try and make as cheap as possible like we do all our surgeries for a flat rate of 10,000 rupees, all inclusive, all medicines, everything, whatever surgery you may wish to do. Deliveries we can do for as little as 2,000 rupees, which is, like you said, about $20, $25 is all it costs for a delivery in our hospitals. But still, the preventive part of it gets lost somewhere. So we now have a large outreach clinic network in which we try and address the primary care and the preventive care aspects of the community. And that is completely free of cost. We do not charge anything there. The patients are free to come and get access to a qualified MBBS doctor, all investigations, medicines. And then uh, on top of that, now we are building full digital ecosystem that ties all this together and then gives access to even more communities who are not in our direct physical reach. So that is the newest piece that we're starting to build up. We've already achieved some success in that piece, but I think over the next one or two years, that will be our focus to make sure that our reach to our communities is much wider than what we can afford currently through our physical locations. That's marvelous. I think the impact on individuals is really clear. I mean, you're stitching together online and offline together in an integrated way. And I uh, admire how you've changed the way that your mentality goes beyond sick care to prevention and all the way up to the name of the organization. Uh, That's what we would aspire to see in health systems from around the world. So I'm curious, you're also an investor in supporting startups and technology. And if you look at your business through the lens of an investor, how do you manage the business? Because clearly you've got you know, physical infrastructure, you're bringing in digital health. Tell us a bit more about how you look at the overall management of the business and what are your challenges to achieve even more scale? Yeah, I do invest a lot in various startups and companies because when I started out, as I told you, I come from a very financially challenged uh, background. So when I started out, I had no money at all. But there was this passion to change things. 
luckily a lot of good people joined me on the way and you know put their money behind my venture expressed their faith in what i was trying to do so investing into new startups is a way of maybe giving it back a bit as well also i feel that if i get keep connected with them i get exposed to the newest technologies the newest thinking so it's a bit of a selfish thing as well so i sit on the board of foundation for innovation technology transfer at iit delhi which is one of the premium educational institutions iit delhi is one of the best educational institutions we get a lot of startups coming out of that so sitting on the board there gives me early access to a lot of newer technologies and new newer ways of thinking so my piece as i as you said how do i look at it through the investors lenses something that i feel if you consider the entire cause of the disease the triple bottom line as we say the impact that we are making the changes that we are making it's an investors dream right so to build this whole community of healthcare access but as a purely hospital chain healthcare in itself as we all know is a very challenging business to make it sustainable without any aid and trying to service the bottom of the pyramid where financial challenges are always acute and we always have this rule that we will not turn away any patient due to healthcare costs so we will treat anybody and everybody whoever comes in and we do our best to try and cross subsidize things through you know people who are being paid for by government insurances or private insurances or some affluent people who want to come in and stay in deluxe single rooms with air conditioning and everything so we try and cross subsidize our operations from these segments to the segments that we are trying to cater to but overall i think once we have the digital piece in play and the entire outreach clinics in play the impact will be so high and the ownership of the community will be there that you know we will own the entire community in terms of healthcare services and then the investors i think will get a much higher return compared to just investing in the hospital service so it's a dual nature of shifting from the high cost sick care and as you bring those costs down then the overall ecosystem that you've built benefits and then in collaboration with having ongoing engagement through the community and continue to bring more and more people into your system yes absolutely so right now we are catering to see less than 1% of the people who actually fall very sick and then come to our hospitals but now we are aiming to access the entire community in terms of all their healthcare needs and not just primary healthcare need but also healthcare information so any information they want to access even if they are not sick or not even at the risk of falling sick we aim to be the organization where they should turn to and reach out to access any sort of information through our vast digital network and video channels and you know vernacular network so most of the digital healthcare space in india still is dominated by players who reach out to communities in english language so they are restricted to the bigger eight or nine cities in india where you know most of the english language speaking people live and this is where they operate out of this is what they cater to and this is what their entire network is about and that is what in our language we call india but uh, the bharat that we call the rural india and the semi urban india the india that is very comfortable in the vernacular language is completely underserved completely 
there is no access to them for high quality digital healthcare so i was just reaching out to these vernacular language websites to understand what is going on so the best examples would be if you write in hindi about cures for cancer the top 10 hits would be all magical cures right you take this juice and cancer will disappear in 3 days you eat this thing and then cancer will go away in 10 days you do this yoga exercise cancer will never come to you so all these 10 magical cures are the top hits in hindi so in hindi there is no real scientific data or scientific content that is available right now and that is what we aim to provide to the community and with these community programs something you shared with me earlier is that you know you go out to these programs you're even finding people who are diabetics but they didn't know they were diabetics uh, tell us a bit more about what is the aim and frequency of these community outreach programs because they sound very invaluable and impactful yeah so we as a group do almost 40 healthcare camps a day in various locations various places of where we are and we are finding almost three or four new diabetics across these camps every time who never knew that they were diabetic and their blood sugars would be like 300 400 and they never bothered to go and consult any doctor so this is what we reaching out to because we do all these camps each camp has an attendance of approximately 80 to 100 to sometimes when a big camp is there almost 200 300 people come and attend these camps and it's not just about health checkups it's about health education there are a lot of talks there people doctors come and talk about things the community leaders come and talk about things how it is important to maintain your health get regular checkups go and see qualified doctors instead of the unqualified quacks that are being consulted right now and that is i think a great thing to go to the community and talk about these things because the community itself is very intelligent it's just that their access has been blocked due to a variety of reasons for the last many years the primary health centers that the government had set up do not see any doctors coming in regularly they are not in a very good condition so the community has no way to go but to uh, you know the local quack who's sitting in their village but if you do show them that this is possible and financially this is very easy it's very cheap there is no money involved so they will immediately shift their behaviors because they want also high quality services and uh, then we start finding out these people who have high blood pressure who may have you know big uterine fibroids that are bleeding all the time and causing anemia in these girls you know we find a lot of anemic young girls as well because of nutritional deficiencies who will when they go on to become mothers create another generation of weak and sick children coming out so all these preventive things that we do i think are creating a long term impact for many future generations to come and that is something that we're really proud of in addition to our hospitals amazing and you know the last period of time that we're in with the pandemic clearly has shifted a lot of daily life and in our expectations of the future as well how has covid created a long term shift in the way that you're managing your business and even also as i started the conversation you're an entrepreneur doctor staying close to the needs of individuals what are you seeing from individuals and what's happening to them so as lenin famously said once there are decades when nothing happens and then there are days in which decades happen so i think last march in india was one of those few days when decades worth of things suddenly changed so march 2020 the lockdown suddenly happened india went in for a very hard lockdown at two days notice 
And uh, suddenly the OPDs that we were running to the tune of thousands of people daily in our hospital suddenly shut down completely. Uh, there was not even one patient coming in. Elective surgery suddenly completely stopped. So uh, like Reed Hoffman said, right, uh, entrepreneurs are the people who jump off the cliff and then start building parachutes. So we were actually pushed off the cliff and we didn't know what to do. And like every lazy person does, we had also been convincing ourselves all the time that, you know, we work in rural communities, we work in semi-urban communities, our community is not ready for digital health, you know, they're not ready to access it, who will teach them, our doctors are too busy in their daily practice, how will they devote time to digital health? But then when we actually were pushed off and had zero OPDs, zero electives, we started out our telemedicine platform in two days flat. And within a matter of month, we were doing about 35,000 consults across digital health every month and across india if you see more than 50 million indians i think access digital health during 2020 for the first time in their lives it was a 500 percent increase in telemedicine concerts even you know in the bigger cities where it had been starting but there was a sudden jump and 40 percent of all those teleconsults were across semi-urban rural areas beyond the metropolitan cities so we also started this, uh, built a big digital health system, full uh, ecosystem that we started to build across our hospitals and our outreach clinics. And I think the behavior of the community showed us that they were ready to accept it. They were just waiting for someone to offer it in a good way. And we had thousands of teleconsults happening. People started getting admitted into our hospitals only through teleconsults for even procedures like joint replacements so of a bilateral knee replacement. Patient would just consult through the online system and come and get admitted into a hospital, which was unthinkable of earlier. And now I think this dire system has become very sticky. The behavior change is almost irreversible now. People are very comfortable accessing digital health, telehealth. Doctors are also comfortable, you know, discussing with patients through the tele-platform rather than trying and calling them every time to their OPD chambers. People are wary of getting their vehicles out, spending the whole day coming from their villages to the hospital and then spending a whole day, losing a whole day's worth of wages, going back in the evening, coming back after three days to access their reports and everything. So I think the behavior change is quite sticky and uh, we hope that telemedicine will be a game changer. Just to tell you, when we started out in March, telemedicine was completely illegal in India. There was no way you could teleconsult and give a prescription. So the first telemedicine guidelines were brought out by the government on March 25th, 2020. So before that, everything was completely illegal, in fact. But the government also responded very quickly, considering the pandemic was there. And now everything is well established and there are clear-cut guidelines and rules. And a lot of people now are doing telemedicine initiatives in a big way, not just us. And so, as you said, decades happened in a few days, decades of change, and now we can be hopeful for the future. We're coming up on time. I've got one more question for you, which is, as you look to the future, the next two to three years, there's many areas of digital health which can be impactful, right? We can look at remote diagnostics. We can look at digital therapeutics. We can look at things through the lens of prevention or even through the disease lens and you know, disease interventions. Can you pick one area or two areas that you're most excited about where you see the direct impact that could happen by implementing something in the next six to 12 months? 
So yes, I think two things will definitely be very suitable for digital health. One is, as I said, primary and preventive care. So if you have a cold or a cough, you don't really want to go and see a doctor and spend the whole day and spend thousands of rupees. And second, I think more than ninety percent of chronic diseases can be managed through digital health. So these two initiatives, I think, should be the first ones for all of us to focus on. and then many other things are easily amenable to digital health like dermatology sexual health and well being mental health and well being so all of these things we are already starting out on and i think these are the few things in healthcare that will be very amenable to digital health and people will be developing very very good quality solutions for them in addition to what we've already been seeing telehealth through radiology teleradiology has shown a big uptick in all its parameters and i think that is a very established branch now compared to the other ones but uh, i think these four or five things will show a very big uptake in the next 6 to 8 months to come well thank you for sharing your thoughts thank you very much for being a guest on our podcast it's been an incredible conversation i look forward to speaking with you again there's a variety of other things you do that i can't wait to dig into at some future episode thank you very much tony for having me and very warm regards and wishes to all your viewers thank you very much for tuning in Well, thank you, and we'll put links to uh, your organizations and LinkedIn so people can reach you. And that's a wrap on this episode. Before I go, here's how you, our audience, can support us. Please share this podcast with others, and if you subscribe, you'll get updates on new episodes and other content through my website, www.tonyestrella.com. You can learn more about both my fiction and healthcare writing. You can also look for me on Clubhouse, Twitter, WeChat, and LinkedIn. And finally, please visit our website at digitalhealthtoday.com to hear other episodes from our podcasting team. This show was researched and written by Taliosa and produced along with Mission Base Media. The sound and music was by Ivan Yurich. And until next time, I'm Tony Estrella and thank you for listening. Hey Dan Kendall here. Thanks for tuning into Digital Health Today Asia Pacific edition. This episode may be over, but there's plenty more where this came from. Just visit our website to find other great shows featuring digital health leaders and innovators. Find us at digitalhealthtoday.com. That's digitalhealthtoday.com.